Hello, and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to continue our look at the book of Galatians. We are currently in Galatians chapter 4. In our last episode, we looked at verses 1 through 7, and today we're actually going to look at verses 8 through 20. And my Spirit Filled Life New King James Version Bible subtitles this section, Fears for the Church. And, um, you know, Paul goes through just a, um, you know, a little, a little, um, passage, just basically, you know, kind of reiterating why he's even writing to the Galatians in the first place. Um, because again, just to go back, you know, Paul, he had found out that there were basically Judaizers in the trying to infiltrate, if you will, the church of Galatia and, you know, with false teaching, with trying to add to the gospel, to distort the gospel or pervert the gospel as Paul calls it. And, you know, it's, (laughs) it's still going on to this very day, sadly in the church. I do a little chuckle and giggle, but there's really nothing funny about it as one who um, experienced and had a brief taste of that in my past when I was um, in my late teens. I got wrapped up with the group who, you know, they had um, good intentions in mind, but they also had, you know, some uh, legalistic teaching. And we're going to see, especially Paul focuses in on just the foolishness of basically trying to use your flesh to and and um our own earthly um manly wisdom basically to try to um you know walk spiritually if you really think about it it doesn't make much sense but you know it's like you're trying to overcome the flesh with the flesh but we're called to walk in the spirit and when we walk in the spirit the things of the flesh the world and the devil are naturally overcome in a spiritual way that frankly only God can do just like he can only convert us and call us out of this world and we respond to his voice we become saved and then we are called to a excuse me a process of sanctification of walking in the spirit by the spirit being led by the Holy Spirit you know Um, you know and, and as I went through this passage I personally just really saw you know, how unique it is that we are, you know, considered children of God, that we as Gentiles, you know, right now we're in the age of the church. That is the, you know, the the ever going book of Acts, if you will, you know, that's continuing to, in a certain sense, still be written. I've kind of, you know, I've kind of eased up a little bit on the, 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 um, I guess the, the terminology, if you will, of how, people say the new testament still being written well that's not true at all because at the end of the new testament is the book of revelation which actually brings an end to the age of the church but i will agree that you know the the book of acts is still sort of ongoing if you will i can at least appreciate the idea and the intent by you know what what people mean when they say that so i'm not gonna um you know the uh, uh, ride on that too hard, but I will say I, I do believe that we are in some really interesting times, and um, you know, a, as we look around, we see just days getting darker and darker. You know, I mean, the world is really becoming subject 
to darkness and embracing that darkness. We see it all around us. You know, I mean, you look at the media, regardless of what, you know, your flavor of media is, it's just very depressing. It's very sad. It's, you know, doom and gloom. And for good reason, I mean, there's not much in the world going on that there, you know, there's not much to be happy about or optimistic about, you know, um, I know humanists love to try to see the good in everything, but, you know, if they're realistic with themselves at this point, you know, there's not much to be very optimistic about, um, it's an amazing, uh, place we find ourselves in as, as, as humanity, I guess you could say overall, because, you know, um, I really see technology, how it's really had such a negative impact on us. It, it's incredible when I think about just the, the ability to, um, y- you know, w- when you look at the way we interact with each other now and how technology has really cheapened the human experience and the value of life and the value of people. It, it's really incredible, you know. Um you know, people, you know, you could sit behind a keyboard and type away and be mean and harsh and usually saying, you know, back when this all began, you know, that that was just sort of a, um, a closeted version of yourself. But it seems as time has gone on and progressed of what I've seen over any, anyway over about the past two decades, you know, it's just gotten to the point where people, they don't hide it anymore. You know, who they are online is who they are in real life. And you know, um, it's basically like their attitude is deal with it. Well, you know, it's a real sad reality where, you know, um, it's a weird mix of reality. It's almost as if if we live in almost an augmented reality right now already where, um, you know, it's like we have these, we have a, people have an online persona and personality and and they also have a, a real life personality, but they're, they are becoming um, entangled and, and um, they, they are co-mingling. It's a very interesting thing to, to watch and observe. You know, the, um, uh, a lot of elitists want to combine, you know, humanity with technology and make that, you know, that everlasting creature, that, that final step in evolution, as they would say. But um, sadly, I, you know, um, they can pursue whatever they want to, but... At the end of the day, God's in charge and God's plan is what's going to be ultimately fulfilled. So, you know, there's going to be some interesting times ahead, but, you know, you just got to have faith and know that God is in control and have no fear because no matter what happens on this earth, I mean, look, Jesus said before he left, I mean, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be hard times for people that choose to follow him, but the reward in heaven is great, 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 and so worth it. So don't ever second guess or, or question yourself if you're, you know, going through, you know, tough times with, um, frankly, you know, the gospel verse, what the world is spewing right now, because it's really, you know, going back to that whole technology thing of what I guess is in the forefront of my mind is like the whole cancel culture, for example, you know, people, you know, it's like people, there's, there's the ether of the, the, um, online world. And it's so 
in our faces. It's in our pockets. It's it's in our face all the time. And it's like you can't escape these ideas. And you know whether people realize it or not,、uh, on a human level, ideas can either help or hurt. You know、um, humanity overall. And it seems like there's a lot of negativity out there, but there's definitely a plan. There's definitely. Stuff going on, you know, on both sides of the fence, if you will,、um, on, in heaven and in hell, trying to have,、uh, you know, well, <laughs> heaven doesn't try anything. God implements His plan, and He's on His perfect timeline. But hell's always there, trying to do its its evil, and、um, not realizing, frankly, that it's going right along with the plan of God. Typically, just like when Jesus was here, just like you know, with the prophets, just like everything. But、um, you know, at the end of the day, there, <laughs> there's just that the, the word of God is the only truth I really see as true, foundational reality that we can stand on. Because the world is just becoming an absolutely crazy place. Everywhere you look, there's just、um, darkness and antichrist, and it's just. Even in a lot of the quote-unquote church these days, I mean, the stuff I read is just unbelievable. What people are allowing to infiltrate and infest their、um, their, their their houses of worship, we'll call them, because I, I wouldn't call them churches at this point. And they're not worshiping the living God; they're worshiping themselves, their own ideas, and they're、um, embracing some really dark agendas. But.、Um, You know, all that said, God is good. He He is our our provider, Jehovah Jireh. You know, He He loves us, and He calls us out of this world. And He has His remnant, no matter what is going on. He will always have His people. Right now, His people are us, the Gentiles. You know, or you know, the Jews for Jesus that are out there that、um, believe in Him as well. And there's going to be a time once that. Once that net is full, if you will, and God yanks on that cord and pulls us up into heaven, then、um, He's going to have His final time with His original chosen people, the Jewish people. And you know, it amazes me when I look around at current events, world events, the very reality of the biblical prophecy that's coming right. To fruition in front of our eyes, you know. Just start. I'll just I'll talk about the third temple. I mean, this push to build this temple is so incredible, and it, it's I really think is going to be a bargaining chip somehow that they're going to be able to.、Um, you know, right now Israel, you know, they just signed a a, a maritime、um, border agreement essentially with、um, I believe it was Lebanon who. who You know they're technically still at war with that country, but、um, you know they're the powder keg has always been you know、um, the, the lid has always been kind of popping. You know if you picture like popcorn, you know when you see it popping at like a movie theater, or if you do it at home, you can see how that you know it's just waiting to just burst out of that that container, and you know it, it's still to this day that 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 powder keg over there is just. 
it's an interesting thing to watch but my point is you know there's so much prophecy and being fulfilled right now and it's amazing how the world is on its own agenda and timeline totally ignoring biblical prophecy but if you have eyes to see and ears to hear you can see exactly where we are you know i mean we, everything's not falling into place exactly yet but i mean we're on the cusp of this 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 seven year period we're on the cusp you know israel's on the cusp of war with its neighbors you know everywhere around them um and it's just incredible how people eat with all that right there and with all the predicted right in the bible people still just turn a blind eye and just don't even believe in or acknowledge god it's sad to me because i just I personally know a lot of people that aren't saved. I mean, we all do. I mean, we can just look around at coworkers, you know, old friends, maybe some current friends, um, family. And it's just like, you know, it, they're just totally caught up and blinded by the world. And it's, you know, the world, the flesh and the devil, man. They, they're they are three, you know, they're, they're three real components of life that, um, you know, just really deceive people and just hey um we're gonna look at right in, in this uh study when we look in galatians 4 8 to 20 we're gonna see exactly what that means when you know people choose to go with the world and deny christ and then we'll see a little glimpse of what hell is actually going to be like for them because you know my reality of hell you know as horrible as it sounds to be in a lake of fire and totally you know just in physical um uh, uh, you know, physically tortured, if you will. I've always seen in life that my greatest and low points are are the mental anguishes that we go through, the the depressed times, the sad times. So you know, physical pain is temporary, but sometimes those mental things. I mean, it could take us years to get through certain things. So and they and mental scars and experiences can really last, you know, a long time, sometimes a lifetime. But we'll see that. Uh, I mean, what hell the, the in a hell in a nutshell, if you will, what it really is is actually just complete separation from God. And I'll just I'll save the rest of it for um the actual passages we're going to look at but it's pretty pretty um in, incredible when you really uh, and I'm going to go through and try to make some points and connect some dots so people can really understand you know what what it is you know how it is that we can even in a fallen world how do we even have pleasure in this life if we're not in, in Christ but I'll kind of give a glimpse into that some stuff I kind of just you know some neat observations I made as I was studying for this and um you know I I can say that God is good again he's our uh, our amazing um he not only hears our prayers but answers our prayers and um you know he's an amazing God he's given me such great people in my life he's given me amazingly beautiful children that I can just love and raise and care for and pray for and um just watch him work in their lives the way he does they're just you know my my children are just they're doing just really well right now um with all the chaos and static around them they can still you know do really well in school make me proud you know they 
I always tell my kids, whatever you do, do it well. And I think that's really sunk in and is sinking into them as they get older. And, you know, he's given me my beautiful, beautiful girlfriend, my bride to be, who I just love to, we just love to spend time with each other and get to know each other. And, you know, he just draws us deeper and deeper into our relationship as well as our relationship with him, which is a really great experience I've never had before, you know, to actually walk together in life with somebody growing not only in a, a uh, uh, you know in a normal relationship kind of way if you will but also learning things spiritually together that's a great experience that again I've never had before but very blessed to experience that now and know that reality and I'm very excited for the I think the very bright and long future the Lord has for us and um I just, uh, I'm, I'm very happy with that. I've personally been away. I, I was at work or away for work, I should say, for the past couple of weeks. So haven't had much of a chance, unfortunately, to record anything. Definitely been reading a lot. I'm actually personally reading the book of um, Joshua right now. I love that book. It's, I really love the Old Testament, actually. I really, really enjoy reading the Old Testament because it's just, um, I, I love it. There's such spiritual reality and truth in the Old Testament. It's so deep. I mean, it's very deep when it comes to spiritual pictures and just um, understanding. And it's so relatable, too. That's a crazy thing. I mean, books that were written thousands and thousands of years ago, how... Well, it's not that big of a mystery, though, because <laughs> there's nothing new under the sun, you know? I mean, humans are humans, and as much as I can say, yeah, 5,000 years ago this was written, well, you know what? It's very pertinent to this very day, because the human heart is the same as it was back then, as it is today. Everything can change around us, but at the end of the day humans are what humans are and we're either we're all evil but we're you know redeemed by the lord or people are walking in their horrible fleshly worldly demonic ways so all right all that said let's get into our look at let's continue our look at the book of galatians now we're in chapter four we're going to look at verses eight to twenty where paul expresses his fears for the church Okay, so like I said, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 18 through 20. Again, this, sub, this uh, section is subtitled, Fears for the Church. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You have that because of physical infirm excuse me, you know that because of physical infirmity. I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? 
For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, not only when I am present with you. My little children, from whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. All right, we're going to look at the notes for that section, and then we'll go from there. Paul declares that going back into legalism would be no better than going back into pagan worship. Paul appeals to the Galatians on the basis of their affection for him and his love for them. Paul claimed no superiority as a Jew, but totally identified himself with Gentiles. Now he wants them to identify with his Christian freedom. So that's in, that's, referring to Galatians 4.12, where he says, Brethren, I urged, or I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. Again, Paul, he's not claiming, culturally back then, I mean, he could have spoken down to them, you know, in a certain regard. The same way the, the you know, the Judaizers were basically speaking down to the newly converted Christians and coming in and saying, we know all about this stuff, but um, we're going to come and, and show you how it's done. You need to be circumcised or you need to do this or that. No, Paul, he, again, he was a humble servant of the Lord who, again, he, he walked in there and he basically identified with the Gentiles, you know, making, making himself very relatable. And now he's pleading to them to identify with him as a fellow Christian because he's, you know, he's correcting them gently, but he's also, he's trying to wake them up and say, what are you doing? Like, you know, this is how it is. You got to open your ears, you know, listen, listen to, to reason here and stop listening to these Judaizers. Although they made a good argument again, and how he says that there's, they zealously court you, but for no good. Because these guys were in there, I mean, they were really trying to persuade the new converts to believe and think like them and to fall into legalism because they wanted to control them. <laughs> they didn't want to lose their position, just like the reason why they rejected Christ was because they didn't want to lose their position in society. So the wicked, evil men, again, nothing new under the sun. Hearts don't change. People's evil hearts and intentions are all the same. That's why, I mean, I, I'm sure you've noticed by now that there's like five or six different types of movies that are remade over and over again. You know, like bad guy, good guy. Okay, bad guy does bad thing. Good guy gets gets revenge and wins in the end. Like every action movie ever. Hello. <laughs> Romance. You know, there, there's maybe sub subsections and different things here and there. But at the end of the day, it's all the same story over and over and over again. And, you know, there's only one authentic truth. And that is what Paul was preaching to them. That is conversion through Jesus Christ and his unique plan for each and every one of our lives. 
He's the author of our salvation. Jesus Christ, that is. So, um, moving on. All right, so the notes, picking up for the notes for Galatians 4, 13 to 15. Paul's sojourn in Galatia on his first missionary trip was a result of some unsightly physical infirmity. His disfigurement was so repulsive that the Gentiles might have rejected his message because of his weakness and unattractiveness. Instead, they paid homage to him. Uh, just a quick note. I believe that, and you see where he says um, uh, in verse 15, you know, uh, for I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. This goes back, you know, to the thorn in Paul's side, as he calls it figuratively. Obviously not a literal thorn in his side, but he had some kind of physical ailment. And when I think about it, if you think about Paul's original time when he was converted, he had scales put onto his eyes. And then, he, you know, um, the the gentleman, I forget his name, starts with an A. Uh, I, it, is, it escapes me right now. But in any case, he was told to go and pray for Paul. The scales fell off of his eyes. He was able to see again. But it seems like, in my own opinion, again, there's many scholars that will expand on this, but it's never addressed in the Bible. It's never actually declared, you know, what exactly Paul's infirmity was, this thorn in the side, if you will, that stuck with him. It was a physical ailment, you know. It was something that he prayed about, and basically the Lord said, you know, in your weakness, I am made strong. And Paul replies and says, you know, your strength is sufficient for me. It's a beautiful passage. It's a beautiful, very encouraging thing for all of us as believers to hold on to. But basically, you know, I do believe it was something in his eyes. Who knows? I mean, it could have been a severe case of pink eye, for example. I've had pink eye before, and I mean, it can get nasty. You literally can have pus leaking out of your eyeballs. You know what I mean? So maybe when it comes to that kind of a thing, sure. Because, I mean, if you think about when you meet a person, the first thing you do, where do you look? You look in their eyes. You know, you look, there's a, <laughs> the eyes are the window to the soul, if you will. And they really are. I mean, you can tell a lot by looking in somebody's eyes when you're having a conversation with them. You can really read a lot about a person. One, will they even look you in the eyes when they're talking to you? And two, when they're looking at you, you can tell usually just by that good old gut instinct we all have. If somebody's telling you the truth, if they're lying, if they're trying to persuade you and deceive you, whatever it might be. So my point is, again, he came to them at a time when it seems like this uh, infirmity was pretty active and really, um, you know, causing him some uh, true physical uh, disfiguration. So it does seem and the fact that he says that you would pluck your eyes out and give them to me. He could have just been saying that as an example, you know, I don't want to get too, you know, um, you know, there, again, there's nowhere in the Bible it says it. But, you know, if you think about, again, I just had this connection when I was reading this today that when you think about Paul's original conversion, he did have scales supernaturally put on his eyes. And maybe when those scales fell off, quote unquote, they were there was some remnant of that, you know, I mean, hey. Paul did, you know, persecute the church pretty hardcore. He killed a lot of Christians. So maybe that was something that the Lord, you know, part of a bit of a physical, you know, um, um, ailment that he just gave Paul. And that was that, you know, maybe he and he lived with it the rest of his life, it appears. So um, 
you know, uh, there's some interesting things there. I, I don't want to get too deep again. It's just some observations. But um, the main point is the fact that Paul does say, you could have rejected me. And let's pick up at the note there. Reject. Um, Ekpato is literally to spit out, which some commentators take to be a reference to the custom of spitting in the direction of an epileptic to avert the influence of the evil spirit supposedly residing in him. On that basis, they suggest that Paul's ailment was epilepsy. Likely, however, the word carries a metaphorical sense of scorn. Others speculate that Paul suffered from some form of aphothemia, whatever that is, but the evidence is inconclusive. So who knows? I mean, Paul, whatever it was that he had, you know, it was probably obviously hard for him to walk around with. It was probably a bit of an embarrassing thing, especially being a public speaker. It's hard enough. A majority of people don't even like to publicly speak, you know, like it's probably in the 90 percentile. But um, look, uh, he he was called to something and he he fulfilled his purpose that God called him to. So with that ailment, whatever it was. So God bless him. He's in his heavenly body now. He made it to the end and um, he's up with the Lord now. So, hey. You know, all this stuff on this earth, all this stuff in this fallen body is only temporary. He, We will be given glorified bodies, mansions in heaven that are going to be absolutely incredible and eternal. So, all right. Um, picking up with the note for Galatians 4, verses 17 and 18. Paul exposes the insincere motives of the Judaizers. Again, just the, the zealousness, you know, the, the, the way in which um, they pursued the new converts. And we're going to look at that word zealous during our study here and see exactly what, um, why it's used and what it meant. Because there's different, um, there's actually a couple different, it can be a positive or a negative word. So um, we'll look at that in a minute. But for now, we're going to flip up to Ephesians 2 and look at verses 11 through 13. And see how they relate to again Galatians four chapter chapter four verse eight, where Paul says, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. So I mean basically he's talking about idolatry, but I really enjoy getting into and looking at just um I look, idolatry is one of the most hated things that 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 God has when it comes to his relationship with us because anything that gets in the way of our relationship with him is an idol it can be anything anything it can be a spouse a child a ministry all these things that might be good i'm telling you there there's a very subtle way that um satan has of using anything he can to separate us from the Lord. And it may even, it's very subtle sometimes, but it's not always, you know, chasing money or chasing a career. You got to be careful and, and, and keep your focus on the Lord, no matter what, and put everything in this, keep, keep Christ in the center of everything in your life. And you will probably not fall into idolatry, but it's got to be careful about it. So Speaking of that, let's look at this verse here again. Uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. 
Therefore remember you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah and amen. Looking especially at Ephesians 2.12, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. You know, this nation, America, was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, we'll say. I'm not saying every founding father was a Christian, and I'm far from, I, look, just the way you have, <laughs> Godly and ungodly people in government right now, it's the same way. It was the same way back then. But what I will say is there were a lot more Christian people throughout society than there were religious or whatever pagan people that there are throughout our society now. So it's a very comforting thing, these words, when it says, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the, co the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's very comforting to really understand that we are, again, part of God's blessed nation. You know, we are grafted into the nation of Israel, his chosen people, us, the Gentiles. It's, it's an amazing thing. And, you know, I guess what my point of bringing up America is this country is so spoiled. It's trading in all of its wealth, all of its blessing to be, oh, oh, I, I just don't, I, I can't even fathom it. it. It's it's really sad what's happened over the past couple of decades. You know, um, it, it's been on such a downhill, downhill slide and it's just getting, it, it's accelerating year by year. This, the, I mean, everything is just broken. Everything, everything's broken. And, you know, it's, um, it's not just one side or another's fault. It's really just the, the overall government is just totally corrupt at this point um, from the top down in, in, in every, every party. It seems like there's the, the ruling class and then there's the, the working class at this point. It's a scary place we live in. But again, thank God we're not subject to this stuff. They can, they can do what they want right now while we're here, but God is in control and he will have the final say in all of it. So take real comfort in that. Know that as the truth. And I promise you, you will have good days no matter what your circumstances are, because at the end of the day, you can lay your head down before you get in bed. And when you wake up, pray, thank the Lord for another day. Thank the Lord for all he did in that day. And I'm telling you, 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 your your attitude, your your that is, is where you can hang your optimistic hat on the fact that God is in control and we are not in control because that's the that's the reality that we should all want, crave, and desire. So let's look at the notes here for Ephesians two eleven to thirteen. Uncircumcision is the most direct term to describe the fact that Gentiles were outside any covenant relationship with God. Without Christ is the first of five phrases in this verse describing the estrangement of Gentiles 
before Christ came. Being without a Messiah is the fountainhead of futility and hopelessness. But now joins with but God as gloriously pivotal words upon which everything in life turns from death to life, sin to salvation, and hopelessness to eternal joy. Amen and hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> for your eternal joy, salvation, and your life of abundance that is only found in Him. It's really only found in the Lord. He is so good. He is our, our provider. He loves us, and He just wants to bless us. And thank God He's the one in control because... Whew, just I, I just I'm overwhelmed by by the the world we live in. When I look around at the dumpster fire that this place is becoming, it's unbelievable. But you know, it, it's all prophesied. It's gonna get way worse too before it gets better. So you know, you just gotta be prepared. Stay in the Word. Know the Lord. Understand where He's coming from. Life's gonna be okay. Look again. Don't fear those that can only kill the body. Fear him who can kill the body and the soul. So we have a healthy fear, but a great love for our Lord and Savior. Thank you, God. All right. So we're going to look at the kingdom dynamics section, actually, for Ephesians 2.12, where, again, it talks about, you know, us being aliens and estranged from the, the nation of Israel, the wealth of Israel, as Paul says. And um, the and strangers from the covenants of promise. Again, when God makes a promise, when He says something, or He makes a covenant with people, like He did with Abraham, when He says something's going to happen, <laughs> you had better believe it's going to happen and come to pass. And what we see around us is prophesied, and what we are going to see ahead of us is all in His perfect time and will. And it's all coming together exactly how Revelation says it's going to. So, and the book of Daniel. And, and just throughout the Bible, there's so many amazing prophecies, prophets, the foreshadowing of the Messiah, of the end, of all of this is all prophesied in the Bible. There's a reason why the world hates the word of God. It's the only, only accurate, accurate book that prophesies and actually comes true so they hate it because they know what's coming too. their evil little hearts know that they're doomed if they don't accept christ but that's on them hey <laughs> i can't say good luck because there's no luck to be had it's a conscious choice you either accept or reject jesus christ and live with the consequences all right so looking at the kingdom dynamic, this is Gentiles embraced by Christ's sacrifice, the blood. Prior to the new covenant, Gentiles were excluded from citizenship in the commonwealth of Israel and were foreigners to the covenant promises of God. There was no hope in this life and no ability to know God's presence in the world. The covenant sacrifice of Christ's blood took Gentiles, believers who were far from God, and join them together with the Jews in the new covenant. Gentiles were grafted in to enjoy the covenants of promise through the new covenant 
and were included as heirs with the patriarchs of all of God's promises. Thank you, Lord. What an amazing reality that is. I mean, an amazing truth. Again, the fact that we are grafted into and heirs of the promises of God to the nation of Israel is an absolute, uh, it's a blessing that we really can't even comprehend, but we will understand it someday, but it's just amazing and, you know, humility and humbling our hearts is part of the new covenant and saying, I can't do this. I give it all to you, Lord. And amazingly, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He takes all of our burdens and, you know, we can cast anything we need to at his feet and he will gladly, gladly hear us and take care of all of our, our needs, wants, and desires that are in him. All right. So we're going to flip up to First Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 8. Again, this is uh, just, some, just a verse that, some, some verses and scriptures and, and passage that relate to Galatians 4, 8. So picking up at First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanliness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so the note for that section, we're going to read it. Just a quick note, and then we're going to flip back to a truth in action that really expands on that a little bit. The note says, rather a surprise in the context is an appeal to the will of God here defined as your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. For a largely Gentile audience, this advice is relevant and specific, an echo of this highly practical definition of sanctification occurs in the closing prayer for entire sanctification, including the body. So again, you know, sanctification is a process, but, you know, we make very conscious choices. So when it comes down to our our sanctification, for example, we are called to walk um, in, in holiness. We are called to be set apart and not in and of the world. We are just simply um, existing. We are pilgrims. We are we are not members of of the 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 sick perversions that the world embraces and promotes. <laughs> And sadly, there's large elements of the church that also embrace those elements and somehow try to um, justify and unify the gospel of Jesus Christ with absolute abomination and perversion. So, you know, that they'll, they'll answer for that because every teacher that's out there preaching a false gospel, they'll be held accountable for not only themselves, but also the people they led astray. What that hell looks like, I would never want to know. But I'll tell you what, it's prophesied 
it's spoken about, it's clearly addressed, and it will, they, they will, on the day of judgment, they'll be held accountable for their false lies and trying to fit into the world because why you want to fit into this disgusting world, I have no idea. But hey, that's their flesh. I question if they're even saved, frankly, but it's not for me to condemn or judge. But I'll just say, if you know the truth, you know the truth. And if you're preaching a false gospel like that, I question if you've ever known the truth to begin with. All right. So we're going to flip back to the truth and action section at the end of First Thessalonians. Truth and action. Truth and action four. Again, these are just sections in my Spirit Fill Life New King James Version Bible that just discuss the truth that's outlined in the scripture and then action we can take in our own lives to um, let that truth um, in, live out that truth, essentially, is a good way to put it. So, keys to moral purity. The church must sustain a biblical commitment to sexual purity. The worldly attitude that produces sexually immoral behavior rejects God and his ways. Recognize that sanctification includes sexual purity and moral self-control. Never defraud others. That is, do not cheat brothers through wrongful sexual liaisons. Understand that living in sexual impurity is a rejection of God as well as his word. Amen. I mean, look, that's, you know, it's a struggle everybody has, you know, <laughs> sexual immorality is part of this world and the flesh and the devil. But, you know, we can also be conscious enough to plead to the Lord, pray. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to ask the Lord to keep you from sexual morality, sexual, to keep you sexually pure. Uh, obviously, there's steps you can take to keep yourself and abstain from those things as well. But it's an it's an amazing process. I've gone through it myself where God can just reach into your soul and take out certain things and change you in ways that we could never change ourselves ever. But when you get to a point and and the Lord and you're pure and you're true in your desire, when it's your heart desire to be set free of anything, God will set us free. He does. He's done it for me. He's done it for many, many others, and he's he's good that way. So, and it's amazing what happens in your life when you're when you're not walking around just sexual sexually obsessed and living a sexually impure life because it can be completely crippling depending on the you know the level and severity to which you're you're experiencing that. But again, it's um we're called to lives of sexual purity and self-control it's imperative it really is and it's um you know there's there's no exceptions i'll just say that and i'll leave it there so all right we're going to jump up to second thessalonians next we're going to be in chapter one and we're going to look at verses seven through nine again just looking at some verses that relate to galatians four right now we're looking at some verses that relate to galatians four nine and we'll quickly look at that um that verse just because it's nice to kind of give us just a nice refresher every once in a while to um just remember what we're looking at so but now after you have been known excuse me after you have known god or rather are known by god how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage so you know again 
Paul is, he's really just outlining the foolishness of legalism by basically, again, just saying, why do you think for one second that you can overcome anything you're struggling with in the flesh by implementing fleshly rules or fleshly observations or fleshly um, whatever it may be, you know, um, again, the, the, the church I was, you know, just briefly involved with their, their whole thing was not having a TV in your house. If you're in ministry, there was a laundry list of reasons why one, just to avoid temptation two to use your time wisely X, Y, and Z. But it, ironically having a TV, it doesn't matter. I'm sitting here right now. There's a TV in my house. It's turned off and I'm choosing to do a Bible study because I love the Lord and I love his word. And I know that the fullness that's here and the, 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 uh, the living word of God, there's a reason why we say these things, the living word, this book that I hold in my hands, this is, this is the living word. Jesus is the living word of God. This is who God is like this, this amazing amazing collection of of writings inspired by the holy spirit of god i mean i consciously choose to use my time wisely why because frankly i've wasted enough time in my life where i've learned that there's certain things worth focusing on and a lot of things that aren't worth focusing on do i watch television at some points during the day yes but is it really a choice when it comes down to do I do this or do I do that? Absolutely not. Because, again, there is such richness and the, the living word. I, I just can't say that enough. The, the spiritual food that I consume when I read the word, there's nothing in the world that compares to that. No TV show, no movie, no video game, nothing. No one compares to that. So... You know, and that's a spirit, that's spiritual maturity, that's life experience. But this is stuff that can only be learned by living life. And it's, you know, if I didn't have a television in my house, who, that doesn't mean I'd be using my time any more wisely or, or jumping into the word. Again, that's putting yourself into bondage because just the thought of that type of system is so depressing that again, God wants us, he gives us a free will so that we choose to love him. So when he chooses to love us amazingly, amazingly, he, he loves us. We're his children. So we choose to love him back. That's a true relationship. That's what he always wanted with us. And that's what we have in Christ Jesus. Like, it's it's a beautiful thing. That's the freedom in Christ we have. It's not a license to sin. It's not a freedom to go and do what you want. Because again, you realize that all of that is empty and there's fullness and richness in our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We we have that. People can laugh all day at these words, at these at what I say, at, at how we how we approach life. But you know what the sad part is? They're laughing into an empty, dark chamber, an empty, dark world. Their, 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 their laughter falls flat 
because we know that's really just their hurt and rejection and their pain in knowing that they've never found anything like what we can talk about. So all of the the foolishness, all of the mockers, all of the, the people that want to persecute us, they can do it all day long. Because we know, I know, I will die tonight, very, right, right now for my belief in Jesus Christ. Because I know he's real. He's shown me how real he is over the course of my lifetime. And the foolishness of all the people in this world 2,000 years later that want to reject and, and question him and then you know, have their fullest theories and all these, you know, I was talking to my kids this weekend about the Big Bang and my daughter, 10 years old. She says, logically in a child's mind, if you compare a creator versus the Big Bang theory, they, 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 a creator makes so much more sense to them. You need to fool yourself into believing the fullest theories of man, the fullest theory of evolution. You need to fool yourself you need to literally turn your eye from truth and turn your eye to deception intentionally in order to believe that. You can't believe that in your heart. I, anybody who says they do, <laughs> they're really fooling themselves. And believe me, I know darkness. I know dark people that believe that stuff. And I have plenty of them, plenty of people. But, you know, and then they'll, they'll foolishly try to, you know, give their reasons for it, promote their logic. But at the end of the day, we're simple. Life is simple. And um, it, it's just, it's an incredible thing when, when we can just know who God is through Jesus Christ. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. He loves us. That's the purpose of the Trinity. As the older I get and more I grow spiritually, I see how the Trinity works, you know. We'll never understand it fully, especially now, but. We have a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit, and they all work together for their greater for the greater purpose of the Father. And wow, what an amazing, amazing place heaven's going to be to be present with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all at once. That's going to be absolute. There's a reason why it's going to take all of eternity for us to even start to grasp who God is. That's the incredible part. Mm. We have so much to look forward to. It's incredible. So much in, in Christ. So, all right. Again, um, so we were looking at Second Thessalonians 7 to 9 and how it relates to Galatians 4, 8. So let's look at, again, Second Thessalonians 7 through 9. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Let's look at the notes for, I want to look at the note for that section briefly. And then I want to just touch on something I just came across as I was reading that. So one day the present situation will be reversed for the persecutors will themselves suffer tribulation and the persecuted will find rest when Christ returns. 
When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, part of the events surrounding the return of the Lord in the day of the Lord, the wicked shall be punished with everlasting destruction from his presence of the Lord. The evil ones forever will be banished from the Lord's presence, while the saved shall always be with the Lord. The difference is eternal. So earlier, I, I kind of alluded to what I'm going to talk about now. But when you look at hell, again, the physical side of it is a horrible thing to think about. I mean, a lake of fire. Ouch. But um, the real the real pain is going to be the mental anguish of never knowing anything good and pleasurable. Let me flip that coin around a little bit. So there's always cheap imitations that Satan has in the world that, that always steal from basically God's creation and his goodness. So if you look at the lust of the flesh, sexual morality, for example, that's a very amazing, amazing thing created by God. But Satan takes it and perverts it and has people, you know, just just walking around in total perversion, essentially. So, but what people don't understand is, and I, I've tried to convey this before and, and explain it, but I'm starting to get a clearer picture of, of, of just what I'm trying, what, what's in my head and trying to put it into words. So, so people, we get tastes of goodness of God, you know, um, the very happy times, you know, like those times when you're, you're, you're just on cloud nine, if you will, you're, you're on a vacation with your family, you're just having the best time. You're at a great party with, with your friends and family, your loved ones. You're just, when you're sharing very special, intimate moments with the people you love that you're surrounded by, that those great high heights that we feel on this earth right now, they are minor tastes of the goodness of God and the goodness of heaven. The sexual pleasure we get when we engage in sex, as amazing as it is, that is a, a again, a, all these things created goodness, God, you know, when we're out in nature and we experience just such pleasure, just walking through a nice, you know, fall setting where the leaves are changing color. All of these things, if you take note, the common thing, they're all created by God. The 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 world, the earth created by God, sex created by God. Um the the people that we love, those special moments, those special times, those times of achievement, those good times in life, they're all blessings from the Lord. And on the other side of that, hell is separation from all of that. That's why people can't really fathom what hell is. They laugh about it. They just blow it off as if it doesn't exist. They, they, they have a cartoon image of something in their head. But what they're missing is this reality of what Paul says right here. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. What foolish 
atheists and people that reject the Lord and people that blaspheme the Holy Spirit. What the foolish world doesn't realize is that although God, they don't accept God, God still blesses them and gives them little tastes of the pleasures that await us in heaven. Because, and just to flip it around real fast for us, I mean, as believers, those things that we think are so great here, none of that, that all is going to pale. We won't even think of that when we're in heaven because it's going to be such an amazing place. But again, going back to my point about hell and, and non-believers and, you know, the blasphemers of the Holy Spirit and the world um, that choose the devil, they are going to be completely separated from, like he says, the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's a reality that we can't eat. We, just as we can't fathom what heaven's going to be like, people can't fathom what hell is going to be like. I've told this, I've said this before, but, you know, I used to look at the paranormal here and there. And I'll tell you, uh, every first off, I believe it's all demonic because it's always a negative feeling people get from these encounters with whatever they're encountering. But I'll say there's some very specific encounters people have where they come across entities, for example, that I believe are just fully demonic and full full demons. And they have such feelings of dread. They, they describe like the saddest they've ever felt or they, they just describe like this 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 darkness that comes over them that's a small taste of what is to come but again just as we can't fathom what heaven holds the dark and, and the lost can't fathom what hell holds for them because it is going to be eternal and it's going to be separation from everything good it <laughs> Oh, the, the, the horrible idea that people buy into that hell's going to be some kind of party. I mean, you talk about evil. I mean, the, the devil, the greatest trick he ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. And then the greatest trick second, you know, that would be one a one B would be trying to convince people that hell's going to be a party because I know a lot of people that do think that hell's going to be a party and, you know, unsafe people, obviously, and people that think, you know, hell's cool, Satan's cool, blah, blah, blah. They love their rebellion. They love rejecting the Lord. But, you know, it, 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 they, that, all of that, those attitudes just come from a deep, deep, painful person to begin with, but, um, or, or perspective, I should say. But the reality is that it is not going to be a party, not, not by any stretch of the imagination. It's going to be worse than you could ever imagine. And, um, I'd highly recommend people really get their head screwed on straight and um, recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. He loves you. He died for you. And he just wants you to, um, he wants to be your savior and Lord. So, all right, let's get into some more verses relating to Galatians chapter four, verse nine. We're going to actually flip back to the book of Colossians and we're going to be in Colossians 2 we're going to look at verses 18 through 23 Paul talking here says let no one cheat you of your reward taking delight in false humility and worship of angels intruding into those things which he has not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind 
and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Again, Paul's just saying basically, why would you think by fulfilling any, again, the law exposed what sin was, but gave us no power to live sinless lives. But Jesus Christ came, exposed the sin of the world, died and conquered sin by living a perfect life. So he conquered and enables us not to be completely sinless, but to be have the bondage of sin broken from our lives, meaning we are no longer slaves to sin. So such great words and such wisdom here. And Paul saying again, how do you think the, the these things have an appearance of wisdom, false religion, all these religious things, you know, you see religion all around us. It's so like it says here, you know, it's it has an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Meaning, I mean, you see it all throughout the Catholic Church, frankly. I mean, you see all these priests that got taken down for, you know, their perverted um, sexual appetites for children and whatever they do. I couldn't even, ugh, I don't even want to think about it. But I mean, look, they walked around looking looking a certain way in front of everybody, but in their hearts, they were evil, evil men. The same way the religious leaders were. That's why Jesus went after them so vehemently when he was here. And, you know, there's just, um, there's a piety about false religious people. And, you know, it's easy to spot, but a true humility and a true life of, you know, obedience to Christ. You know, that, that's what Christ wants. He wants true, you know, he, he wants us to really honor and worship him. And that's it. And not walk around trying to be something or pretend to be something that we're not. That's, uh, you know, well, that's the foolishness of legalism. So we'll look at the notes for that section. And then we're going to look at uh, a truth and action section. We're going to finish up here in a minute. But in view of Christ's all-sufficiency, his abolition of the Mosaic law as a means of justification, and his decisive victory over demonic powers, Paul urges the Colossians to resist legalism, angel worship, and aestheticism that was being forced upon them by the false teachers. Such exercises deny Christ's supremacy and sufficiency, rob Christians of their liberty, and are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Amen and hallelujah. I lived it. I experienced it. It's complete false lies. And um, there's just, it's totally demonic. And anything, anybody that tells you, you can't do this or you can't do that, or you have to do this and you have to do that. It's not biblical. There's nothing, there. it's legalism. It, it's a false, totally false um, 
just lies that people just want to control other people. They're sick, they're evil, and just get away from them. So it's, it's, I'm at the point, that's all I can say. So, all right, looking at the section two of the truth and action at the end of Colossians. Uh, Colossians. Um, steps to holiness. Under the old covenant, the law system only allowed limited access to God. The new covenant no longer poses rules for cleansing, but calls to faith the acceptance of the completed work of Jesus. We are not to allow anything other than the word of God to control or judge us. We are neither judged holy nor unholy by external regulations, but by the condition of our heart. Amen and hallelujah. Reject rules that aim to cleanse the spirit by means of humanly contrived regulations. Realize that in Christ you are no longer subject to human wisdom or works, but to God. Set your thinking and affections on Jesus Christ and build your relationship with him. Do not allow worldly pursuits to waste your mental or emotional energy. Amen. And look, this is where we, you know, people want to look a certain way, you know, because frankly, they have evil in their hearts. So again, I mean, we see the superficial a society we live in everywhere you look. I mean, you don't have to look very hard, unfortunately. And it's just, it's all around us. You know, I mean, people are the, 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 um, the, the fakeness, if you will, just to put it bluntly of people these days, it's just, you know, it's out of control. So, you know, people smile in your face and talk about you behind your back all day, all time, all the time. I mean, uh, we all experience it at this point. So, you know, just, you, you, just thank God it's the condition of our heart. The the walking in the spirit, God knows our hearts and he knows our heart's desires. He has he replaces our heart of stone with a heart of flesh when we get saved. So one way to obtain the pure heart and purity in your heart is to get into the word of God, get to know him. That is the transformational power of living, of reading the living word of God is so much greater than anything you can do externally. Anything. Nothing you can do will ever compare to getting into the word of God. Because there's something really unique and special about choosing this living word over the things of the world. I mean, just that obedience in itself is huge to the Lord. I know that. I I live that. So, all right. Now we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Again, these these are just verses that relate to Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. And again, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The note for that section says, The first covenant proved weak and useless in providing either full access to God's presence or full fitness for his company. Therefore, it had to be annulled and a new and better hope introduced to succeed where it had failed. 
So, again, God showed us exactly what sin was when he introduced the law. But it was never intended to give us power to live out that perfect life. It was simply, it, it was a, it was like a dictionary. Again, it defined, a dictionary can define every word in the English language, but it doesn't tell any story. It doesn't give you the power to um, narrate anything or make sense of anything because it's just a bunch of words with definitions. It takes another element to come in and actually make it have it all make sense and give it meaning. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did with the law. So, all right, we're going to now look at the word. So I'd, I said earlier, again, we're talking about um, the zealousness, the, the zealous attitude that the Judaizers had towards the um, new converts. You know, they were... <laughs> They were really pushing these people to do some stuff that they shouldn't be doing. So quickly, looking at Galatians 4, 17 and 18. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that they that you may be zealous for them. See, again, zealous for them. They wanted people to look at them and praise and worship them, essentially. You know, um, they, they wanted their position. And that's exactly what the downfall of the religious leaders at the time were then. And very much up to this day, that's a downfall of the world today is the world would rather glorify itself than glorify God. And that's all going to be reconciled soon enough. And the more they try to glorify themselves, the darker the world gets and the more lost they become. And they have to deal with what's right around the corner soon. So that word, though, that word zealous means zelo. Um, actually, dizelo in, in the Greek. To be zealous for, to burn with desire, to pursue ardently, to desire eagerly or intensely. Negatively, the word is associated with strong envy and jealousy. So again, I mean, these guys were, they were, they were jealous of the fact that Jesus Christ was essentially getting the praise and worship that they wanted. So the religious, religious leaders at the time had him crucified. And then even after the fact, when they saw the spiritual reality of people being converted in the name of Jesus and developing relationships with God, they wanted to break in on that. And they wanted to introduce legalism into the churches. And look, we see religion all over the world. The word, the biggest offender of Christianity is Catholicism. So many fake rules, the fake ceremonies they do, the horrible practices that they have. I mean, they're just from A to Z, top to bottom. It's an abomination against God. And, you know, um, it's, it's the ultimate legalism and it's a horrible thing. And... I'd highly encourage anybody. I do know Christians that are Catholic, but I will say it's few and far between. A lot of people are just doing, you know, going through the motions and then, you know, they end up with some real dire consequences in the end. So, all right. Two more things to look at quickly. I want to look at the word formed again. Galatians 4.19. 
my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. That word is morpho, to form. Schema and morpho are in bold contradistinction. Schema, scheme, signifies external form or outer appearance. Morpheo or morphe, think morph. We, we would think morph. You morph into something. It's related noun to internal reality. Refer to internal reality, excuse me. Galatians 4.19 speaks of a change in character becoming conformed to the character of Christ in actuality, not merely in semblance. So again, Paul's talking about for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Christ being formed in us is when we are being transformed into the image of Christ or morphing the character of Christ in us. So again, that that's it's a spiritual truth that Paul was trying to convey and his entire goal of his ministry was to introduce the spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and then have people be sanctified and become Christ-like. So we're going to finish up with the truth and action section at the end of Galatians. We're going to look at the truth and action section number one called Guidelines for Growing in Godliness. Godliness results from Jesus Christ living through you by the Holy Spirit. It is not achieved by observing some external code. Any attempt to achieve righteousness through a list of external do's and don'ts is fruitless. God calls us to live to love others and serve others just as Jesus did, by the power of the same Holy Spirit and in the same gracious freedom. Amen. Concern yourself with God's word becoming incarnate in you. Consider yourself as being under construction with Christ's likeness, the objective. Walk in the freedom that Christ purchased. Do not submit your soul to legalist rules regardless of how right arguments in their favor may seem. Amen and hallelujah. All right, so that's going to conclude our look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. I just wanted to go through those verses um, and just try to clear some things up. So next we'll get into, we'll probably conclude our look at Galatians 4 in our next episode. But until then, God bless and have a great day.